from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report on Radio Andy. We count down the top 10 things that made us go wow. I'm Fenner co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by Tom Campbell, our chief creative officer. Yes, sir. And Jane St. James, editor of the Wow Report, literary sensation, bon vivant, etc., etc. So um, let's, let's just get on with it. Let's do the countdown. Lot to get to. Number 10. Number 10. I think part of what's so shocking is that it's so close and we, the liberals, the libtards are like, oh my gosh, so many of the people we know, love, related to, work with are, think totally different than we do, have totally different morals. And a celebrity who's dealing with this in a way, in a very public way is Lady Gaga. You know, she came out in a big way for Joe Biden all throughout the campaign. But in the last few days, uh, Trump made fun of her on election day. And the day after, a man named Joe, and it's not Joe Biden, it's her father, Joe, came out of the tweet in total support of Trump. So one day his daughter is ripped apart by Trump. The next day after the election, he says his total support is for Trump. So... I'm not singling out Lady Gaga in a bad way. I just think, I, I think she represents, as usual, she represents all of us. Trump also was like, oh, I have some, in his tweet, I have some stories about Lady Gaga. You know, that that awful, uh, loose uh, character assassination, just sort of spraying bullets, you know, and, and making, you know, accusations that don't aren't even founded in any kind of fact. Throwing a noodle against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Yes, and I feel for Lady Gaga like I feel for all of us. How are you guys feeling about, I don't know, is, are there people? James, talk to me. I discovered this week that a good, one of my best friends of over 35 years is a rabid Trump supporter. Out of the blue, it came. It hit me like a, like a wall of bricks. I could not believe that I've been friends with this person intimate friends with this person for 35 years and known him it just i've been so close and not had a clue that this is how he feels and he hates the liberal liberal media he hates the mainstream media he hates the libtards all of this and i had no clue and it just boggles my mind how somebody who has been downtown to the very core well james are you going to continue to be friends with this person are you going to address the issue well, that's just it. Do you do you uh, let it go and just not discuss politics, or do you cut them dead? What What do you do? And I put that to my Twitter followers, and it was a basic fifty fifty cut of you know <laughs> drop them or you know just overlook it. It's been forty five years. We will see. I mean, you know, spoiler alert: we're taping this the day before. This is being taped on Thursday, airing on Friday. We at this moment don't know who the president is going to be. But if it is Joe Biden, you know, he promises to he feels uniquely positioned to bring us together. Very hard task to do. But like all that. But I I I I am struggling with beloved people in my life and my family who I I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I'm not going to forget. That's one thing. Um, And and, sorry. 
Well, what Lady Gaga with her dad? Has she confronted her dad? Has she said anything? Like, what, what's her sort of approach? I haven't seen any public response from her. It's got to be bone crushing. It's just, you know, you can have those feelings also and not be public about them. And I'll wrap it up with this because we have more to go through. But, like, let's give it up for our divas who came out in support of Biden, J-Lo, uh, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, driving people to the polls. It really, you know, usually celebrities... All you know, there's always been political celebrities, but usually celebrities get to stay away from that, the big ones. And this year, because it is so drastic, so many of them, and I'm, I'm forgetting so many, but went on the line and, and reached out to their their uh, fan base. So I thank you, Lady Gaga, who is wonderfully flawed and kooky and weird. And aren't we all? And um, love to Lady Gaga. I think being attacked by Trump is sort of a badge of honor. I wouldn't. I hope she's not losing any sleep over it at all. You know? No, it's the dad piece. It's the dad piece to me. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, James, let's move on. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. At a certain point during the election on Tuesday, I had to just tune out. I had to go find something else because I was too stressed out. And I watched on Netflix, I watched uh, the new Rebecca, the Rebecca remake. And I loved it i wanted to i went into it wanting to hate it because tom i'm sure you know the movie and the book from which it comes the daphne du maurier novel and the movie the 1940 movie uh, directed by alfred hitchcock it's one of the great masterpieces of cinema you cannot touch it how dare netflix think that they can remake this and do a good job and you know the original it stars Sir Laurence Olivier as the mysterious and wealthy Maxim de Winter. And his first wife, the glamorous Rebecca, has died when the movie starts. And she dies in a boating accident. And he's in the south of France. And he meets the mousy secretary, played by Joan Fontaine, who won her first Oscar. And she does a brilliant job as a woman who is out of her depth. She marries Maxim de Winter. He takes her back to the Manderley, the, the estate, the creepy estate. And she is very much out of her, her depth. The servants are nasty to her. Everyone hates her. She's never given a name in the movie. I don't know if you remember this. She is, she is called you or the second Mrs. De Winter. At no point in the book or the movie does she get a name. And it's the same thing. She is just the second Mrs. De Winter. And the housekeeper... Mrs. Danvers, the villainous Mrs. Danvers, was played by Dame Judith Anderson. Well, okay, in this version, is Army Hammer plays Maxim De Winter, and Army Hammer is no Laurence Olivier. Lily James is no Joan Fontaine, and Kristen Scott Thomas plays Mrs. Danvers, and Kristen Scott Thomas is fabulous, but. The thing is, is it's a whole different movie. This is in color. It is a saturated. It's like they're all in fabulous 1920s and 30s outfits. They're all, it's, it's just gorgeous people in gorgeous outfits at a gorgeous castle on the Scottish coast. And the cinematography is gorgeous. And it's sort of what Purple Noon is to the talented Mr. Ripley. Like, you, there are people who hate, you know, it's a classic, you cannot touch it. And then the the television industry is gorgeously shot, and it's gorgeous people. And this is sort of the same thing. Everybody is gorgeous and beautiful and fabulous and really dressed. And the story holds up. The story is just as spooky and scary as it always is. So I'm saying, yes, give this a shot. Tom, you especially, I want you to watch it. What do you think? Question. I, I want to say it too. I like a one-off, first of all. But the, uh, Mrs. Danvers, is that the maid's name, the yeah. mean maid? Yeah. She's a classic 
sort of hinted at being lesbian role in cinema, right? In the in the yeah. original. Does yeah. that does, is that explored more deeply in this version or no? Well, her obsession with the first Mrs. De Winter, Rebecca, is laid out a little bit more. And it's sort of like she's sort of fangirls, Rebecca. It's not quite hinted that it's lesbian. It's just that she was so taken by her glamour and beauty and, and you know, chicness and every elegance that uh, she just is devoted to her obsessively. Even after her death, she still is obsessed with, with Mrs. De Winter. Love it. All right. Um, so that is, sorry, that is Rebecca streaming on Netflix, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Two Even though I, you shouldn't like it, you will. <laughs> At number eight. Number eight. Uh, I just want to tell you a little story. I am uh, coming to you from London, uh, where we just started the second lockdown. At uh, midnight last night, the nation went into a second lockdown. And but the, the reason that's funny is so here's the thing, like eight months, I mean, it's eight months ago to the day I had just arrived in London and I was walking around and I saw, you know, those like newspaper billboards, London epidemic, epidemic becomes real or epidemic law breaks out in England. And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. And of course, indeed, as Tom knows, a few days later, we were in the middle of filming Drag Race UK and we had to leave. The studio was closed down and we all had to leave because of the pandemic, which was just beginning in the UK. So it's just one of those bizarre ironies that we months passed. We all, you know, we were all in lockdown, isolating. But finally, a window of opportunity came where we could come back, finish season two. And it would just so happen to be just before the second lockdown. It's like, you know... Crazy making. Um, the How good much? news is oh, the okay. good news is that um, the, BB, uh, the, the BBC, the government has decided that uh, people working in entertainment are uh, classify as essential workers. So even though a lot of other things are closed down, we don't have to close down. And we've been saying for years that drag queens are essential workers. So finally, we have the, the British government to uh, back us up. Well, that's absolutely right. And um, But the other little bit of a story is that to even come here and do this, we all had to go into quarantine for two weeks before the shoot. And so literally the day the two weeks ends, they announced that they're going to lock down the nation all over again. Um, and so off I went to, to my hotel um, near Pinewood Studios. And like two nights in there, say, the hotel is closing. We're, you're going to have to find somewhere else. And that's where I suddenly found myself in the middle of a Bridget Jones, um, Brideshead Downton Abbey movie, because I'm coming to you from Hedson House, which is a grand Georgian mansion uh, outside of London. And I'm not in the main house. I'm down in the clock tower where there's some Airbnbs. But it is it is crazy. It is. I just sent you, texted you some photos, actually, which maybe you can uh, open on your phone, and I'll post them on the report. It is. It is like. It is like walking into the past, and you have to drive down narrow country lanes that are single lanes. There isn't room for two cars to oh pass. Oh my god! Right? Is this the movie Rebecca? Yes, you son of a bitch! I can't believe you finally got your manor house. Wow. <laughs> 
This is spectacular. It is crazy. And this morning it was like all misty and it's it's like um it's crazy. It's and like you're um, royalty, stepping back in time. You are Princess Alice. You are your yes, the Duchess of uh, Marlsborough, which we'll talk about later. Last the time only, I went to Mandalay again. <laughs> yes. The only setback is that to get from here to the studio is a drive in which you basically take your life in your hands. I have a stick shift, which I haven't driven a stick shift in 20 years. The country lanes are so narrow. There are hairpin bends. There are tractors. There are sheep. There's, you have to cross a field with a gravel path with cattle in it. It says, don't get out of your car because they're sort of shaggy dinosaur cattle with big horns. I mean, I get to the studio. It's only a 20-minute drive. I get to the studio. I'm a, I am a wreck. I am just covered in sweat. <laughs> you don't so, have a driver, darling? <laughs> I know. This is the budget version of a Bridget Jones movie. Um, but it's Abbey, also so. part of the lockdown. Everyone needs to be have their own space. It's very tough to get around. And, and it's it is. to you for, for toughing it out. Well, I have to say, no, the, the cast and the crew are just amazing. And Rue is amazing. And everyone's like covered in PPE. We have masks. We have face shields. Um, we're all in little separate spaces. And I'll just say that it's just so British, this lock, lockdown, because one of the things is you can have, there are no weddings. All weddings are canceled. But you can leave your home to attend a deathbed wedding. <laughs> Which is like if Anna someone Nicole Smith, like marrying like a, a, a old man on his de- old billionaire on his deathbed. Yes, and they make quite a thing of it. Apparently, deathbed. I guess I didn't know they were a thing, but they must be a lot of them going on, and and up to six people can attend a, a death a wedding if it's a deathbed wedding. I feel like that's my my next best chance for love is a deathbed wedding. Thank you for giving me a little bit of hope, Fenton. And um, have, have, are all the drag queens put up in castles as well? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I should really answer that, but the answer is no. I mean, <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, all the hotels are closing and, and the, the, the hotel for the drag queens has to remain open because it's, it's catering to essential workers. Um, so, so we just had to find an Airbnb. And I, I mean, really, I just lucked out. I mean, this place is just crazy gorgeous beautiful so i bought a pair of wellington boots and if i have a day off i'm going to roam the parklands <laughs> uh, out on the moors yes yeah. all right let's take a break um blake have you got a question i sure do how many electoral college votes are there and why excellent question i don't know let's think about it over the break we'll be right back you listen to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James, Tom Campbell, and Blake, you asked us a very on-point, pertinent, timely question. Yes, in the U.S., the U.S. election has been going on all week, it seems like. Um, how many electoral college votes are there and why? Well, there's 270, obviously, is what you've got to get to, right? So wouldn't that be it? 370. 270, girl. Oh. But there's more than that because Trump has some too. So I'm going to say there's 500, and I don't know why. 
Any other guesses? Know. Well, Fenton, wouldn't this have been a question on your uh, exam to become an American that you should know? It would have been, but they don't always ask all the questions. I had to name the contiguous states of the eastern seaboard. That's about as far as I could go. <laughs> okay, well, there are 538 total. There's 100 for the 100 senators. There's 435 for the House of Representatives. And then the 23rd Amendment in 1961 ratified that there were three more for the District of Columbia for a total of 538. That doesn't make any sense. Why why did they add more for the District of Columbia? Um, I guess so they could be represented in... Well, why would why would um, Guam and Puerto Rico not have any? Because those are territories. Uh, and why um, why do th- why do we need to get to two seventy? What is the magic number for two seventy to become president? I don't really know that. I guess it's just the majority number for that. Okay. I suppose if you have two seventy, no one can have more than, than right. you. Oh, right. It would be more than the half of the 400 and whatever yeah okay 538 there you go i thought it was 370 so i feel so much better now (laughs) all right let's move on with the countdown number seven tom number seven uh since last we met uh, a great actor 90 years old sean connery the original james bond of film passed away um just it's, I don't know that I'm the biggest Sean Connery fan. I've enjoyed him. He's had a full career. Um, the James Bond franchise continues to go stronger than ever. I think there's been four, five, I think five Bonds altogether. Um, and I'm just curious if you got, you know, and this is also a British story, Scottish. He's a UK story, I should say. I just don't know what you, where, where you guys, where your heart is. A lot of people find him really sexy. I see that. I was, a little, I was born a little later. I'm a little bit more of a Roger Moore I think I would like Roger Moore in a tuxedo and half his tuxedos in bell bottoms. Um, Fenton, what do you feel about uh, uh, Sean Connery? Never did it for me. Never did it for me. Didn't get my mull of Kintyre rising. Um, and isn't there some controversy like uh, that he was on some talk show about slapping women? Oh, okay. I yield my time to James St. James. Well, first of all, he, you know, he was, um, uh, Indiana Jones's father as well. And that's sort of where I land on him. He was also in a speedo in the entire movie of Zardoz, if you remember that, where he plays a god named Zardoz. And that sort of got my motors running when I was a younger child. But the the controversy that you're speaking about, Fenton, is um, that he was on Barbara Walters in the early 80s, I believe. And he said that it's okay to slap women if they deserve it. And that sometimes they just need a fisticuff to the face. They just need to be knocked around a little bit. And she went on to say, are you sure? And he said, yes. She said it three times. Are you absolutely sure you want to go with this route? And he said, yes, I believe it to my core. And it wasn't until much, much later in his old age that he recanted it. Because for many years when he was asked about it, he would he would say, yes, I believe it. And if you're on Twitter at all, you know that he has been canceled in death because of this. And people are all up in arms about it. 
That's a tough one because it is. I saw the clip. I wanted to like make it nice and soft, you know, but I did watch the clip. And at one point he's like, well, she goes, if a woman needs it, then I give it to her. And she goes, well, what would make her need it? If she doesn't stop, if she doesn't know when to stop, which is, um, you know, and then part of me, and I'm not being an apologist, but I'm just processing out loud is from a different era. You know, he's 90 years old now. Um, uh, attitudes towards women, while incredibly wrong, were more, in fact, like smoking, <laughs> smoking. And, and, and I'm not, you know, again, I'm not trying to equate things or belittle people, but there is something about, I, I did not know that he eventually uh, um, um, apologized for that or changed his mind. I'm happy to hear that. Now, um, it, you know, you say that for, he's from another time and that that is very true. And this is not again, we are not apologists for anything like that. But you also have to factor in that he was born in a very lower class, poor, poor, dirt, poor family in Scotland in the 19 what 30s, 19. 40s something like that 1920s james 1920s okay and to be poor in scotland in the 1920s uh he started he dropped out of school in like fifth grade and went to work like in the coal mines and and working as a butcher and everything when he was you know 10 years old 11 years old so his his the way he thinks and the way he was brought up is very different than anything we would know or have to understand. So it's not an apology, but it does sort of explain why he thinks the way he did. There's a great expression that we use a lot in my family. I don't know who said it, maybe Mark Twain, but like, as we grow older, we don't change. We just become more so. Yeah. But I do, I do hold out and I've seen in other men, especially, I don't know, the testosterone level goes down or the people do find truths in the later years of their lives or take positions life is clearer to them so i just hope we can all continue to grow and learn and in our own ways we all have things that we can do better and, and be better so i, I, I hope possibly if he had had different mentors when he got to hollywood he would have he you know that that that'll change you as you get older and you're around different types of people and he would have been around. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a hard call on that one. Cause you, you want to just have a gut reaction and say, cancel him. He's terrible. Well, then I shall say rest in imperfection, Sean Connery. There you go. <laughs> um, James, what do you got for us at number six? Number six. We're going to talk about the the tombs of of the Sakaro, the Sakaro tombs. Uh, have you watched this, Fenton? Do you know what I'm talking about? I certainly have. I have. Okay. In 2018, this totally went by me. There was a discovery of these tombs in uh, a burial tombs in Egypt that had lay, that had been there for 4,500 years. They had been undisturbed, and we, someone discovered them. They went in. It is absolutely fascinating to watch them uncover all of the things the hieroglyphs they find mummies in sarcophagi that the painting is still perfect it's reds and blues and yeah it looks like it was done yesterday they open it up and the mummies are intact it's unbelievable there's pottery there's jewels there's there's statuary there's all sorts of fascinating things and you can't help but feel connected to it and the armchair archaeologist in me and the historian in me says do it let's i want to find out everything about this civilization from 4500 years ago which is someone we've never heard of it was a a temple what was he a temple he was a a egyptian priest by the name of wati w-a-h-t-y-e 
and we have never heard of this guy before. There's some mystery mystery about what happened to him and his family. They all seem to have died at the same time. There was a controversy over whether his brother tried to take his place or something that you learned and that you learned throughout the course of this is you're discovering the hieroglyphs, the hieroglyphics. And now the other part of me though is upset because this is grave you're grave robbing it's desecration of a grave these people spent decades believing in their heart that this was their afterlife and this is what they did and we just come in and knock things around and pull mummies from their tombs and it just it feels wrong and sad in these people for 4500 years we've come, now we've come in and destroyed their rest, eternal resting place what do you think you well, I have a weakness for Egyptology, and I, you know, I, I suppose, I especially love the idea that sort of sci-fi idea that that the people who built the pyramids were the chariots of the gods that they came from outer space, gave us this yeah. technology, and that the sort of the death cult of the ancient Egyptians sort of makes sense because it, it's all like they're preparing their vessel and their transportation devices to the other world, but I. The problem, the problem I, I mean, I thought the film was amazing and gorgeous and I watched it rapidly, but, but I kept on thinking, this feels a bit fake. And what are the odds that this scene would be perfectly lit just as they uncover a perfect <laughs> hole and scrape away? It, and then they open the tomb and it, it looks like it's just been ready to be done as an Airbnb. It's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you're, I just kept on thinking... Well, I got fakey wakey vibes. A lot of fakey. I mean, I know the tomb is real, but I yeah. felt so, some of the recrees. I was like, come on, guys, you did not just find this. And when they find a sarcophagus that is, like I said, perfectly intact with the colors still, and then they open it up right there in the desert in the light. Like, no, you would take that to a laboratory. You'd wear gloves, and they're just opening it up willy nilly, throw, picking up this, the, 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 mummy and like showing it to everybody no it's like a youtube unboxing it is it is but i like i said th there's also something very fascinating about the continuity where you're getting to know the people who are working in on uncovering the tombs and the, and the archaeologists and it felt like as they're dusting off the tomb you could feel that 4,500 years ago they were building it and now they're they're dusting it. And there's this continuity that things don't really change in Egypt. They're still working on the damn tomb 4,500 years later. But you know those those little toys you get at Christmas where you like get a, a dinosaur egg inside a thing and you hack it away with a little thing. And yeah. a it felt like that. It felt like this shit was buried. And then they were like, now we'll uncover it and we'll get out of our brush again. I, I, I agree with you, but like I said, it was still beautiful to watch and gorgeously shot. And I loved getting to know the archaeologists as you you know you mm. hear their stories. And they, like I said, it their the, their life hasn't changed essentially in the forty five hundred years. They're still on donkeys and you know working on the tombs and carrying the sand. And it just feels like like this is a place where time has stood still. And I really I appreciated that and I loved it. But Secrets of the Saqqara Tomb, right? Yes. Or the Tomb of Saqqara. Anyway, it's on Netflix. Uh, number five. Number five. I think we need Calm. This is an app that you may well be aware of, but offers daily meditations. And it's kind of a, it's kind of pricey. It's $69.99. Um, 
not and I don't think it's a month, right? I think it's a year, $69.99. And you get these daily meditations. And the thing that they've been really successful with are these sleep stories. Well, now they've gone and, and upped it and turned it into an HBO Max series. Um, um, a world of calm. And the first one is the Coral City. And it's like 16 minutes long and Lucy Liu is narrating and she sounds like an ASMR type person, you know, and you're underwater and they find this turtle, this old sea turtle who's looking for a safe place to rest in the underwater coral city in the archipelago, archipelago of Indonesia. I mean, it's great. Yes, Tom. Is this like, is this akin to Yule Log at Christmas or slow tea? Absolutely, it is. And I started doing a little Googling, like I was, I wanted to know who started the, the app, you know, and it's this British guy called Michael Acton Smith, who I swear to you is five miles from where I sit right now. He's in the village next door to my Downton Abbey Airbnb. <laughs> is that crazy? That's so bizarre. And he made a film uh, a couple, a few years ago called Barbar Land. And it's eight hours long of sheep in a field. <laughs> so there's a theme here. And, but it, it is, Tom, it's absolutely like um, slow TV, but it's beautifully shot. And it's sort of like a National Geographic or, or sort of a Discovery, you know, or a David Attenborough series. But instead of the, the stakes of animals eating each other and all that, it's just... This is an interconnected world and it's all peace and love and the lovely old turtle lies down and waits for the fish to come and clean off his shell and me i'm just so traumatized by narrative and stakes that i'm just waiting for the shark to come and bite them or <laughs> or or anal not anal bleaching i'm sorry uh, coral bleaching to happen where did that come from your brain just glitched for a second there what's going on with your anus or, or i just think while, while fenton has been in two weeks of lockdown quarantine why not take advantage to have do sort of home anal bleaching sorry i have to go uh, I, I tell you a lot of people have had a lot of work done in lockdown on <laughs> their teeth and a lot of filler but anyway Coral bleaching, James, is you can see why I thought of anal bleaching, coral bleaching, <laughs> anal bleaching, right? Same, same thing. My point is, though, you're just waiting for something awful to happen. I'm so it's so ground into me that I can't embrace these immersive, relaxing ASMR type stories. I'm just waiting for something awful, hideous, horrendous to happen. That's the world well, of calm. It sounds a little bit like Kiana Scottsy or something as well, where there's just that feeling of like you just let the world wash over you. I guess. Um, uh, Blake wanted us to note, note that Calm sponsored the election on CNN, which is hysterical. <laughs> I think that was a very smart move. I bet they got a lot of new subscribers. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to break. Um, something that will not make you calm is the fact that Voynarovich, fuck you, faggot fucker, premieres next Wednesday, November 11th at Doc NYC Fest and will be available to stream for a week until November 18th. This is the film about the activist artist from the 80s, David Wojnarowicz, who was an early victim of AIDS and became a really outspoken critic of the government's indifference to the disease. And there's a bizarrely timely story to be telling right now as we're in the midst of a pandemic where the government doesn't care. 
And by using the F word, you're trying to reclaim it. We don't, that's not a, a happy word. That's well, it doesn't, that, that title doesn't make me very calm. It makes me, it makes me all uh, <laughs> hopped up okay. and angry. Cal- uh, yeah, Calm, the app, did not sponsor that documentary. All right. <laughs> uh, Blake, you got a question for us? I do. I want to talk about the mostest, closest presidential elections. So where does the Bush-Gore, which was the closest in our lifetimes, where does that fall on the closest, on the most close presidential race? Hmm. Of all time? Uh-huh. Yes. All right. That is a great question. Thanks, Blake. We'll be right back after the break with the answer. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Tom Campbell and Blake. Yes, we're in the midst of the presidential election here in the U.S. So uh, I asked... The Bush-Gore election in 2000 was the closest presidential election in our lifetime. But where does that fall on the closest presidential elections of all time list? Uh, oh, yeah, go. I, I, uh, not in my lifetime, but almost. Uh, the Kennedy-Nixon election was really close. I'm going to say that was the, cl- and I don't know history before that. So I think the Nixon-Kennedy from 1960 election was the closest ever, so Al Gore maybe second. I remember well the Millard Fillmore election in 1874. I remember it like it was yesterday. So I'm going to say this: it was number three on the list. It is. I'm sure. Oh, okay, never mind. But I was sure it was not uh, Bush Gore. I'm sure that was the closest ever. It was actually number three. Ding, 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 ding. There were a couple before. The number one was uh, for the sixth president, John Quincy Adams. Ah. The number two was for Rutherford Hayes. The night. Oh, Rutherford Hayes. Was he the one who died in the bathtub? Well, I don't know about that. He was so fat he got stuck in a bathtub. I just want to point out to you, James, this is not Doris Hearns that, that Blake Googles these questions, gets the answer, and then you drill him like he's been writing a book about this stuff. Just <laughs> giving you trivia. You need who's the presidential historian that's always on the Rachel Maddow show? It's got a fabulous name. That's who oh. we need. Yes, no, I like him. Mm. He's sort of All handsome. right, let's get, carry on with our countdown of things that made us go wow this week. It's number four. Number four. I don't think we've talked about this. If it was, it was in passing, but there's a wonderful show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. Um, that's been on for many, many years. Um, and it's hosted by a Harvard professor, Henry Louis Gates Jr. It's been on for several seasons. And this past season, it, um, RuPaul took, took part in an episode that includes Dion von Furstenberg and another wonderful um, designer whose name escapes me because I'm of that age. And the news that was broken on PBS, which made some headlines, was trumped, sorry for that word, was overshadowed by when that same information was discussed on where? The Wendy Williams Show. It turned out through DNA testing from one of their earlier guests that Senator Cory Booker and RuPaul are cousins. And not play cousins, real cousins. So 
Um, again, it was funny because the PBS show definitely has a long standing, and I saw some uh, media blips. But uh, Wendy had Cor- uh, uh, Senator uh, Cory Booker on, and uh, it made it, it swept the nation or it swept my feed. So I think it's kind of interesting, kind of fun. Have you guys ever done any of this DNA testing or finding your root stuff? Yes, I did it this year. I uh, did both Ancestry dot com and dna uh what is it the other one the dna and me well i i can't remember it you uh, i did them both and yeah. um, 23 and me 23, 23 and me. And me, yes i did 23 and me and ancestry.com and um i didn't it didn't get too close it didn't get other people that were uh sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers and cousins it went as far as fifth cousins and that's where it sort of stopped for me but it also that's when i told you fenton that um i am uh 93% uh british from the uk i am from london and edinburgh and manchester are the three places one place in ireland i think it was county cork or something like that um but basically i am a uh um an edinburgh and london boy is what they discovered and there was I could have told you that there there was a little bit of there was like what less than one percent of Scandinavian and that's it there's no Italian I anything else it's just I am actually this week been looking at my family tree I've been using like an app yeah but I'm afraid to do the DNA testing because I don't want to end up on the ID channel you know like. Well, well my, you know, my my sister and and my cousin and we were all talking about it and they were saying, well, then you'll be on a government watch list. Watch list, and I was like, girl, if I haven't been on a CIA list at this point, they know everything, and if they're probably bugging me right now, what are they going to do that they have that they already haven't had a chance to do anyway? Well, I would like to know in the comments below if anyone has used any genealogy software. What is the best to use, please? I have relatives in another state who did, through testing, we've just recently found out that an uncle of mine who his whole life was single had a son who lives in another state. I'm going to try to keep everyone's anonymity. Um, but And he has passed along and the family in this other state is sort of embracing him. But, you know, that's really cute years after you passed on and the person has grown up. But finding that kind of stuff out and other times could be very, very um, troublemaking, right? In a relationship or, because I think he had a one night stand and uh, and voila. And not that there should be any shame in that, um, but it, it's, uh, I've not done the DNA of it all. I kept, two people gave me that as a gift years ago. And for some reason, I just didn't do it. I just find it a little invasive. I've been told a princess from India is in our genealogy. And I do not want to, I don't want to do a test because I'm sure it's not true. And I don't want to give up the idea of the princess from India, you know. (laughs) I can see that you have some royal blood in you. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, Bailey's. Yeah. Look, I'm thinking there's a Bailey like sort of liquor or something, isn't there? There's a Bailey liqueur, and then there's Barnum and Bailey. I can see you being circus people. That that would make <laughs> sense. Stop right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go to number three, James. Number three. I am reading a book. I'm alternating with. I told you I was reading uh, Moby Dick, and it is. It's a long slog. And I will probably be in my late 80s when I finish it. So I, I am alternating with a book that I just started, uh, a biography of 
Gladys, the Duchess of Marlborough, and her name is Gladys, not Gladys, which I think is absolutely hysterical because you you read it and you're thinking Gladys, 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 and then they say no, 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 she re- she referred to herself as Gladys, and I um remember when I was a teenager and I re- wanted everyone to call me Jamis. <laughs> I, I changed my name from James to Jamis, and I made everybody at school, I made the teachers call me Jamis, and I, it always sort of tickles me when people change their name, like, were you ever a, a Tomas, Tom? No, people are, people, I love what people say, is it just Tom, is that T-H-O-M? It's like, do I look like a T-H-O-M? I guess I do. I <laughs> you need to be able to do hair if you're T-H-O-M. Fenton, were you ever Fentoni or something? <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, uh, anyway, it's it's sort of an interesting story about this woman because she was considered one of the great beauties of her generation, the the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. She um was um the Hugo Vickers is writing the book, and Hugo Vickers has done a lot of royal bi- biographies, and he says that when he was a child, he was at a jumble sale, and he saw this apparition appear, and was it a man, was it a woman, it was a crazy person in a fedora hat and men's clothes, and it turns out that it was Gladys, the Duchess of Marlborough, and she was a crazy old woman at this point, but you could still see the blue of her eyes, which were, you know, just the sign of a beauty, and so then he's later in life, when he's an adult he hears that she's in an insane asylum for for very rich people and he decides (laughs) to go and visit her and when he gets there they say she hasn't spoken in years she's 91 years old and she won't she she, he he walks in and she turns her head and closes her eyes and won't have anything to do with him well he keeps going and late he goes five or six more times and she keeps her eyes open and she smiles at him so he keeps going back, and the next time he goes, she's had her hair done to see him, but she still won't speak to him. But she's had her hair done, and she has some jewels on. And so then he starts bringing pictures of people from the 1800s and 1900s, and she looks at them, and she'll point at them, but she won't talk about them. And he, she was painted by Boldini, and Proust wrote about her, and Robert Montesquieu wrote about her. So she brings he brings pictures of these people, and she starts pointing to him and saying, bastard, horrible man, horrible man. But then he'll say, did you know him? And she'll say, she did not know him. And she speaks in the third person. And this goes on for 15 years. She lives to be 106. And he visits her every week, and every week they get closer and closer. And that's sort of how the book starts. And then we go back to her, which childhood in the 1880s and her father murdered her mother's lover and she was sent to a convent to live with the nuns and then they they broke her out and they kidnapped her from there and then she meets the duke of marlborough when she's like 10 but she doesn't he he's married and they have an affair for 30 years before he finally divorces his wife and marries her which is sort of a fascinating 30 years she waited to be the duchess of marlborough but she was 10 when she first... I think she was 10, and then they began began an affair when she was 20, and then when oh. she was like 30 or something like that, that's when they, they married. Wow. So fascinating. And then she goes insane, like everybody in her family goes insane, and it's just... Uh, so it's it's an interesting book. It's the Duchess of... Uh, the Gladys Deacon, the Duchess of Marlborough is the name of the book. Gladys, I think. Gladys. <laughs> and Thomas, St. Thomas is the one referring you to the book. All right, moving on. Number two. Number two. 
Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Oh, my God. I managed to get my hands on a preview copy. I don't think I was supposed to see it, but I somehow managed to see it. And it comes out November 22nd. So this is a bit of a preview. Um, interestingly, um, oh, what was, um, um, what was Rue's Netflix series? AJ and the Queen. Oh, right. So in, um, another interesting thing about this is that uh, Dolly Parton's in it. She plays, um, She's sort of actually a homeless person, basically, begging for change. And that's sort of a pun because she's looking to make a change. Oh, look, it's just a basic Christmas story. All these people in a village. And Christine Baranski is fabulous. She's fabulous in anything, right? <laughs> and she is the evil Scrooge, the wicked witch, the person who hates Christmas. And she arrives in the square on the eve of Christmas. And she's handing out eviction notices to everyone because the whole village is being raised and turned into a giant mole and she's unrepentant and handing out these notes and Rue's husband from AJ and the Queen plays uh, a character called Christian who happens to be the pastor who's married to a, a a lovely large woman who bakes pies and everyone's so nice in the square and Jennifer Lewis is in the square and she is a hairdresser I mean do you get where it's sort of you know it's very it's sort of Christmas, it's a Christmas musical, Christmas musical, and of course Dolly Parton isn't homeless. She's an angel and she brings about a change in Christine Baranski. Oh. So it's really, it is, it's so bizarre because it's super sweet, everybody's so nice and it's super hyper and super camp. And I kind of liked it actually. I, and, and, musical numbers, right? Yes, filled with musical numbers, packed with musical numbers. You know exactly what's going to happen. Although there is a really, really, really good twist that I, I won't spoil. And so, you know how Netflix, one thing ends and the next thing begins. I then, then it teed up Christmas, Christmas Land, which is about someone who inherits a Christmas theme park from her aunt. And then after that, I was watching The Christmas Inn. And I somehow got into this k-hole of <laughs> christmas movies with a real estate theme it seems to be a thing <laughs> well so that's... I think we all need christmas this year we really need it and i don't think there's anything wrong with some corny sappy christmas i found myself watching hallmark christmas movie after christmas movie and they're all the same you know they're they're all this cheesy cornball and i love every second of it so yes to dolly that's right. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Find out who the first queen is crowned on Drag Race Holland. It's on WoW Presents Plus right now, worldwide, except for the Netherlands, where it's on Videoland. Uh, you can sign up for WoW Presents Plus at wowpresentsplus.com. All right. We'll be right back after the break with the number one thing that made us go wow this week. I wonder if you can guess what it is. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. What was the number one thing that made us go wow this week? Number one. I'm going to call <laughs> it election uh, disruptus. Uh, uh, you know, I said earlier in the show, we are pre-taping this one day early. This airs on Friday. We are talking Thursday afternoon Pacific time. And, you know, uh, it's... 
it, a, a range of emotions, right? I'll start, but it's like, I, like James, could not, I couldn't watch the, the results come in. I did, I've been, you know, watching so much CNN and, and, and coverage, but I just couldn't live through the ups and downs. I went to bed super early. It gets dark around six. I'm like, good for me. I've had a day. And I woke up like at 11 and I didn't know exactly what time it was. And it was silent in West Hollywood, silent. And I'm like, that's not good. You know, like, like he, Joe, if Joe Biden wins, people are going to be making noise. I live below the Sunset Strip. I live, you know, below hotels that have roof, roof cafes and things. And I, I so turned on the TV, saw that we were kind of in a, you know, a toss up and went back to bed. And I have to say, with, with, with a lot of truth, I've not been keeping close, close, close track. It really sets me off. I know we're, you know, on our way. But, but the worst thing is, is that, I don't know, I should say that, but it's like, we all knew it was going to be like this. They predicted it was going to take a long time, and yet we were so frustrated by it. And the other thing we started talking about in the first segment, which is, I'm really concerned about what this says about our nation, that, you know, almost whatever percentage of Americans saw what Trump did and said, I want four more years of that. Yeah. Um, I had been going back and forth between Fox, CNN, and MSNBC to get all sides. I got to say that um, uh, Steve Kernicki, Steve Kernicki on MSNBC, I don't know if you guys follow him. He is absolutely hysterical. I don't know if they jab him with a needle full of meth before he goes on because he was on the air for 30 hours straight and they finally forced him to go to go take a nap they said we have a cot downstairs you have to go take a nap or you're done you know he just and he's so manic and so funny and so he's so cute like i see on twitter everyone is like fangirling him like they want to be mrs steve kernecki or whatever um but it is it has been a very upset i went to bed early and then woke up early and i am on twitter and you know, Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it is, it's, I feel like it's my civic duty to know what's happening at any given time. And it's, um, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, we still don't know what's going to happen because there's still time for them to, for some nuttiness to happen. I have to say um, being in England was perhaps the perfect thing. You know, it was just, just removed to a degree, you know, and um, so like you, I, I didn't watch it. I, I, drank a bottle of wine, took a sleeping pill to make sure I wouldn't wake up <laughs> and went to bed. Um, and I, I suppose I, I knew a little bit before because I was binging my Rachel Maddow shows before that there was going to be this thing called the, the Red Mirage, which would give you the impression early on that the Republicans had won. It didn't um, matter, though. It when, Once it happened, you still freaked out, even though you mm, knew it was a mirage. Hmm. Mm. And of course, here we are, and we st we still don't know. And Trump has declared victory. You know, I I call it electile dysfunction. There you go. I do. You know, it's funny that, that the Trumpers are marching outside of in Pennsylvania and Nevada and Arizona, and half of them are saying, "Count the votes, count the," and the other half are saying, "Stop counting the votes." And nobody seems to have any consistent messaging among. Uh, Republicans of what they want to happen. They just want Trump to win and they don't care if it's stopping the vote or keeping the voting. Keep counting. What the they want to do is they want to count the Republican votes and throw out or not count the Democrat votes. It's very, I think yeah, it's very yeah. simple. Yeah. Well, I guess to be continued, right? Yes. 
I, I hope, I hope by next week's show, we know who the president is. <laughs> I don't know. I hope. Well, that's all we got time for this week. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Um, thank you for listening. Um, same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something with a mask on that makes the world go wow. Wow.